Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and back from ASHA is Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? Chris, I'm still in an ASHA hangover right now. <laughs> I believe it. I was exhausted, and I was just moving my thumb up the screen following Twitter, so I can imagine being there. I have to say, Chris, you were so missed, not only by me, because there's nobody that I wanted there more than I wanted you there. All of our listeners were like, is Chris here? Oh my gosh, is Chris here? And I said, oh. No, Chris isn't here. Stop reminding me he's not here. I'm so sorry. And that is so nice of you to say. And that's so nice of the listeners to be looking for me. Maybe one year I'll have to come like dressed like Waldo or something. And then we can try and find me in the in, around the convention center. I have no doubt that everybody would find you because everybody was finding me. I was like, let me just like leave the booth real quick and go to the bathroom. And then like, you know, someone would stop me and I'd say, of course, like, I'm so excited to meet everybody. It was kind of bananas. I was not expecting the response that we got from all of our listeners. And thank you guys so much for, you know, finding me. I told everybody on my social media, find me at Asha because I'd love to meet you. And that's exactly what people did. Thanks, listeners. That is awesome. And it is really like humbling to know that uh, that you're out there and that you're listening and then you're implementing things. And I know that hearing stories and talking to people about what they've taken away from the podcast is one of the reasons we keep doing this. I agree. Speaking of which, I would love for you guys who have not left a review on iTunes, we love reading them. We love hearing what you guys have to say, your experience. So many people came up to me and said how much they love the podcast. And I didn't say this, but I should have been like, could you leave us a review? Because what happens is if you leave us a review on iTunes, more people see the podcast. And ultimately our goal is to just spread the word about AAC. We want everyone to know about the podcast so that everybody knows about AAC so that I can stop walking into classrooms with kids who are, you know, eight years old with minimal language and they don't have AAC. So really important that we spread the word. And coming fresh off of ASHA, where you're kind of saturated with speech language pathologists, graduate students, uh, undergraduate students, all these people who are uh, new and wanting to learn, but AAC extends way past just the speech therapy field, right? And so there needs to be teachers, general ed, special ed, occupational therapists, physical therapists, uh, so many more people that can learn from this content. Yeah, it was really cool, actually. So Part of the time that I spent there, I was on a panel and the panel was all about ethics and podcasting. And one of the things that I shared was, you know, this idea that of course we have a very specific niche that we typically touch on, right? We talk about AAC. That's the kind of the crux of the podcast. Um, But it's important that we think about our listeners, not just as speech language pathologists, Because we have a lot of teachers, administrators, parents, all of these different people who are listening to our podcast. So, you know, when I was thinking and thinking through and talking through how we create content, um, it was just a really important reminder that we need to think about everybody because that's ultimately what we want. We want to reach as many people as possible. So do you have any cool stories from Asha? Yes, I have two amazing stories. The first, so I'm sitting at the Exceptional Ed booth, which was awesome. So Exceptional Ed has four different podcasts under the Exceptional Ed Network, um, one of which is Speech Science, and Matt Hott was there representing Speech Science at the booth. Exceptional Leaders, which is Mei Ling's podcast. 
And then last is the Private Practice Survival Guide with Martin Sibley. So we had a lot of different hosts coming in and out of the booth and they were doing interviews alongside of myself. And Matt at one point was talking to a group of three women, I think. And um, he started talking about podcasts. We were kind of luring people into the booth by saying, do you listen to podcasts? And of course, everyone said yes. (laughs) Most people said yes. There were a few people that were like, what's a podcast? Anyway, we were talking to people and asking, do you listen to podcasts? And then we had um, kind of a flyer that had all of our different podcasts. Um, The first one was talking with Chuck. And so Matt was talking to this woman and I was behind him. And she's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I listen to talking with tech. I love talking with tech. And so Matt's like, well, you're in for a really big treat because Rachel Madel's standing right behind me. And she goes, shut up. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So she comes over and she's like, shut up. And I'm like, I won't shut up. I'm like, I'm Rachel and I'm really happy to meet you. And she's like, shut up, shut up. (laughs) And it was so funny. I was like, I'm not talking. (laughs) So anyway, she was so excited to meet me. And then I said, why don't you hop on the podcast? And she's like, shut up. I can get on the podcast. No way. And I'm like, yes, like come on the podcast. And then of course she's like, I'm not good at talking. I'm like, "I, I doubt that. I doubt that you're not good at talking. Don't worry. We can edit it if anything goes wrong or you mess up. And so anyway, I had her come on the podcast and it was so sweet. I was just like so tickled um, that she was so excited and she had no idea that she even came to our booth and that I was there. So that was the funniest thing is that she just happened to stop by, had no idea that one of her favorite podcast uh, hosts was there. So it was really cute. Shut up. That is the best story. (laughs) It was just so cute. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I just love this. And so it it was so great because a lot of the people that were stopping by knew I was there and were excited to, you know, chat and take a picture. And um, so just to meet somebody who was surprised was just the cutest. That is so great. It's funny you, those words, shut up, right? Uh, Just nerd out for a second with me with uh, AAC, right? If you think back to the Russell Cross interview that we did talking about phrasal verbs Mm -hmm. shut up is a phrasal verb right you don't shut an up right uh, and it's 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 a very common phrase that you use um you know in in common like you know parlance and uh so i just like i said just nerding out for a second because we've been talking about phrasal verbs a lot in in my neck of the woods well actually two things about phrasal verbs one russell cross stopped by our booth so I got to see Russell, um, Russell Cross and Chip Clark and May Ling actually got a photo with them. And I was really upset because she said I couldn't take a photo with them. I'm like, out of all the people that should take a photo with them, it should be me. <laughs> I don't understand. Why couldn't you take a photo with the speech dudes? <laughs> exactly. The speech dudes. Well, cause I guess, you know, they're not typically photographed together. They'll only do separate photographs. And so May Ling somehow, you know, is good friends with them. And she was trying to make me jealous and she actually did make me jealous. Yeah, I got that photo. I saw it on Facebook. You know what? I think we can do the same thing. You and I can only be photographed separately, never in the same room together. Should be pretty easy since we've never met. (laughs) It's true. It's true. It's going to be real simple for that that to be put into fruition. (laughs) Now, you said you had another story? Yes. So are you familiar with Hannah Foley? Foley. Mm, the name sounds familiar, but no, I don't know her. Okay. So she is a AAC user. She uses touch chat. So she's an ambassador for Saltillo. And at one point she came over with uh, someone from Saltillo and they gave me some swag. A lot of the, the companies were coming over and giving me some like AAC swag, which I really appreciated. 
And I was so excited to meet her because she's an adult, she's in college right now, and she is an AEC user. And what's really amazing about Hannah is that she has a very interesting access method. So her access method um, is so interesting. She kind of has a closed fist. Um, I wish my uh, the listeners could see this right now. Um, she has a closed fist and she kind of uses her middle knuckle almost to activate her device. And she was like a champion. I was so impressed with her ability to type and communicate. Um, she's coming on the podcast. I asked her, I said, are you going to come on our podcast, Hannah? And she says, absolutely. Um, so I'm really excited to have her on um, to showcase, you know, her ability to utilize that device, to hear about her experience. Actually, Matt Bod met her and helped set up her system. Um, so Matt, of course, was messaging me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited you're having Hannah on the podcast. And I'm like, you were holding out on me, Matt. Like, I didn't know you had this amazing adult AAC user that could have been on the podcast all along. That's great. I cannot wait to to uh, hear her interview. That is, we got to get that set up as quickly as possible because we need more AAC users to come on the podcast. I agree. Um, I have her email, so I'm going to send her an email probably after we get off this recording and coordinate because I can't wait to to talk with her more. Well, and can I say it's so great that Hannah decided to go to ASHA because I think of all the speech therapists out there that might be in charge or in uh, on a team where they are the kind of the principal person that is meant to you know think about AAC and bring it all together to the team and have never met an adult user or ever met somebody who is a functional user of AAC. And so thank you, Hannah, for being there to, uh, because just because you use AAC doesn't mean you necessarily have to be there to teach other people on how to use it. But uh, it is so appreciated when someone who uses AAC does spend their time doing that because there's so much for us to learn. Yes, exactly. And I think that I always think about Temple Grandin and what a huge impact she's made in the um, world of autism because she talks so frankly about her experiences um, in therapy and in ABA and how, you know, her brain works, um, how her sensory system, you know, sometimes is disorganized. And so it's just so great. You know, we can do all the research in the world and speculate, right? But what's better than actually listening to an adult who can share their experience with us? I have a quick, fun Temple Grandin story. I, and, and it kind of fits with the Hannah story and what I was saying before about not really being obligated to to share if you don't want to as an AAC user. So Temple Grandin was presenting at a conference and uh, Sally Norton Dar and I were presenting right after her. Like Temple was the was like the keynote and then then there was us. Right? Uh, we got pictures of the flyers like, is this for real? Is this real life? You know, um, and then we got a picture with her and, I, and um, we posted it on our Facebook page. And one of my friends from high school who is a farmer. I grew up in a very small farming town. He's like, oh, Temple Grandin, that's the agriculture. She's huge in agriculture. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. He didn't even recognize that she was autistic. He only knew her from the agriculture world. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. It just goes to show that like, when we're thinking about somebody or someone's work, we kind of pull out what's meaningful and relevant to us, right? So us as speech language pathologists, we pull out the autism. Somebody who works in agriculture pulls out the agriculture piece. So that's so fascinating. So any other stories there from ASHA? I have a million stories. And actually, most of them are on the podcast you're about to listen to. So I'm really excited to share part two of our ASHA episode. I wish that you could be there, Chris, but hopefully this episode will make you feel a little less like you didn't miss out. Well, I can't wait to listen. Without further ado, let's listen to Rachel's interviews at ASHA 2019. 
welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm here with Dr. Adriana Lavi. Adriana, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so honored to be here and so excited. I am so excited to have you. I was telling you when I first met you that I had a wish list of courses that I wanted to take while I was here, and you were on my, my Aww, wish list. Aw, thank you. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what you presented on yesterday. Um, oh my gosh, this presentation freaked me out. I was so scared. I was so nervous. That room was gigantic. I almost had a heart attack going into it. So um, I presented on assessment techniques of yeah. pragmatic language. I talked about the video-based um, my video-based test, the mm -hmm. clinical assessment of pragmatics. And then uh, my second session was on intervention. So a social skills program, video-based modeling. Ooh, and um, mostly what I talked about was um, using auditory visual bombardment to teach uh, children how to read faces. Ooh. And you know, those little subtleties um, of facial expressions like sarcasm, or somebody's nervous and needs uh, empathy. How do you teach kids? How do you teach kids how to read, how to understand that and pick up on those subtle cues? And I think you're exactly right. Videos are so much more dynamic than just static photos. And for so long, you know, that's all we had as clinicians. Um, I'm really excited about your assessment. And I am super pumped because I actually just got to use it. I was telling you when we first met that I had it. WPS was so kind to send me a copy of it. And I just, I didn't even think about it. And then it was on my shelf and I had the perfect kid for it. Um, and I just, I love it. I really Aww, do. And and I'm just so excited to talk with you because you're the brains behind it. Oh, and it means so much to me. It means a lot to hear all this. Amazing. So let me ask you, while you were developing this, like what was going through your head? Like what were the thought processes as far as, um, you know, that feels like a huge task and oh, an yes. undertaking, right? Yes, yes. And um, I've done it all by myself without a publisher. Um, so a few years ago, um, as a school-based SLP mm -hmm. uh, in a high school, I was so frustrated with the area of pragmatics and all the standardized tests that we had at that time, uh, where my students, mostly my high-functioning students and those with social communication disorder, pragmatic language uh, impairment, would score so high and pass all these tests with flying colors, and then I would have to resort to informal observations, and that so, takes so much time, so tedious. And honestly, um, it's really difficult to set up situations um, where you would be able to test the student's ability to read um, empathy or sarcasm or uh, look at conversational adaptation. Really, in the lunchroom, how would I be able to really get into deeper into that those uh, pragmatic uh, areas. Mm -hmm. So one time, one day, walking my dog, I, I saw a group of teenagers talking to each other from distance. And um, I could sort of um, think or figure out what they were talking about in a way uh, based on their facial expressions because they were so expressive and kind of draw my attention to those following. And then it hit me, oh my gosh, um, I wonder how much of that our kids with our children with autism really get, and how would I be able to test, you know, have them look at situation like that, mm -hmm. and test and understand how much they understand 
So it hit me, what about videos? Why don't we use videos and maybe videotape situations and ask them questions? So I went home, asked my sister um, to role play a situation and I had my neighbor uh, videotape us, a very simple um, video on my phone. And then I, asked, I would ask kids questions uh, on this situation. So I had some silly scenes. Yeah. Um, and, and it went really well and they, they loved it. They were really interactive. Um, so later, I, um, as, uh, when I went to get my PhD degree at Loma Linda University, I thought that I would want to pilot it um, as a study and make it my dissertation. So I did. Um, I developed um, a set of social situations, um, hired a crew, we uh, videotaped these, filmed the scenes, um, and then uh, I piloted the study on 120 kiddos. Mm -hmm. So that was my dissertation. And that's it, I was done. And when I got my degree, my husband told me, you know, we need to commercialize it. And we need to standardize it. And I thought, I'm not doing that. This is just so much work. Right. And so many children to standardize. But get this. Let me tell you, my husband has a PhD in statistics, basically. Ooh, so that feels really useful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is an unfinished, basically, PhD degree, but I call it PhD degree in statistics. But all he does at work is statistics. And he works for a company that develops blood tests that um, look for genetic diseases. So he really understands the process of research and development. So he assured me he would be able to standardize it and hold it to the really highest standards of psychometrics. So statistics is really not my you know, favorite area. Me, me either. But we just, somehow we did it. We um, recruited SLPs um, in 15 states and tested a bunch of kids, ages seven to 18. Actually, we piloted earlier with, um, we started at age five, but it didn't really go very well. Yeah. <laughs> so we um, ended it up ended up um, piloting on seven to eighteen. I love that. I love that. It's actually really interesting. I, we use assessment tools all the time, but it's interesting to hear it's how it started from just an idea and how that you you created you know how it how it turned into what it is now. Um, that's so cool to hear in the story uh, that motivated it. I can tell you from my own personal experience. I have so many children with autism that I work with who can answer any question about what's you know kind of this idea of what's the right thing to do in a social scenario, but it doesn't mean they can read the nuances of facial expressions. It doesn't mean they have the inferential thinking. Um, you know, and it's, it's really hard to encapsulate that skill um, through a checklist, right? Um, through a parent interview. And so I just love the idea of using actual videos because it's one step closer to an actual real life interaction. Exactly. That's amazing. Um, so excited to have you here. So let's talk a little bit about the the treatment. You did a yes. talk on treatment, yes, um, which I I'm did. fascinated by because I, I use a lot of video modeling and social skills videos in my own treatment. Um, so what were some gems from that talk? So 
many SLPs um, after I uh, we we published the caps test, many SLPs would tell me, uh, so what's next? We know that they have problems or deficits in the area of um, understanding processing and using nonverbal language, like reading faces or using facial expressions appropriately. Mm -hmm. So what what now? How do we work on that? Mm -hmm. um, and for that reason, I, I I started thinking really how do we teach children how to understand and discriminate between let's say um, an angry face and uh, as someone who's nervous or someone who is disappointed someone who is worried or uh, someone who is sarcastic mm -hmm. how do we really teach that so um, so I designed a program I designed a technique that's called auditory visual bombardment where you literally bombard uh, students with these videos of various faces and you um, teach them and explain to them what all of these facial movements mean. So for example, we would show videos of a sarcastic look and we would ex explain that a tight smile, you know, mm -hmm. like this. Yes. <laughs> and maybe a raised eyebrow or a smirky eye, right. um, but a tight smile, that means sarcastic, but a wide smile, happy smile means honest smile. So looking at these intricacies um, and bombarding and teaching kiddos, showing them multiple videos. This is what sarcasm looks on a woman. This is what yes. it looks like on a man. This is what an eye roll looks like. This is what it means. And then um, we show them videos of someone who's in pain. And that means like when somebody looks like that, that means they need empathy. This is how we express empathy. So taking it one step at a time. Um, and um, this is basically what the program is all about. It goes step by step, very easy mm -hmm. to use. Um, and it's research-based because we, we've done two studies on it to understand, uh, to better understand what the efficacy of this approach is. I love this. I love this because it's such a hard thing. You know, for, for people who, for people like me, I, I, I obviously work with children with autism, so I think about social pragmatics more than, you know, the average person. But I still learned social, you know, how to be a social person. I, it was never explicitly taught to me, right? It's yeah. so hard to explicitly teach social skills. Yes. Um, so it's just like even listening to the way that you break down different facial expressions and different emotions and how they connect with our facial features and our facial expressions, it's just fascinating. Because it's just like we never really think about these things, right? We just like, I see somebody and they look kind of upset and I'm yeah. like, oh, like, you it know, just, and we just react yeah. without like actually, you know, consciously thinking about all the things that go into a social scenario. Yeah, that just comes naturally to us. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much, Adriana. I'm so excited. I actually think you should come back on the podcast because oh, I think you. you have a lot of really amazing information to share. And this was not enough time for me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm so honored and so grateful for this opportunity and to be able to speak with you. This this was fun. It was, I loved it. It was so fun. And I think that we all could probably learn a little bit more about how to both diagnose and treat social pragmatic disorders. So I'm so excited. We'll have to definitely connect and, and have you back on the podcast um, and, and share all your gems. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you. 
am here with Deborah Brooks. Deborah, how are you? I am well. How are you? Good. I just interviewed your second half, SLP's Wine and Cheese, Maria. Um, you guys are so fun. I love your podcast. It was, it's, it's just, it's a breath of fresh air, to be honest. Like, it's not like, oh my God, I need to like talk about research and all these things. It's really lighthearted and fun, and I appreciate that. Yeah, we intend um, to be first and foremost entertaining and then also informative. Mm -hmm. We definitely do research before every episode, but we don't want it to sound like a scripted show or a professional development. Exactly, and I, I, I appreciate that. There's a ton of out there there's a ton out there as far as professional development, and you guys are just, you know, you're fun, and I appreciate it. And I think that anytime we can bring more joy and fun and lightheartedness to our lives and especially our careers, I think that it's the best. Yeah, I mean, often people ask me how I manage to do everything that I do, but I feel like the things that I do help motivate me for everything to be an SLP collectively. Mm -hmm. So just doing the podcast and getting positive feedback, like how people can apply our tips immediately and things like that, just keeps me going and I have more ideas. I also think I'm a very productive procrastinator. So I just find other things to do. To fill your time. Oh, yeah. To procrastinate the things that you really should be yes, doing. Yes, that's what I do. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and the never-ending to-do list, right? right yeah. It just never ends. And I was, who was I talking to? I was just speaking with someone. I know what it was. Somebody was referencing uh, AAC in the Cloud, which is an online conference. I presented at AAC in the Cloud, and it's been on my to-do list literally since the summer to go back and listen to the past, the other presenters. Because uh -huh. it's, I mean, they had an all-star lineup and I'm like oh that never-ending to-do list that I feel like I never touch it's right. like those things like if it's not immediately needs to happen right now yeah. I'm like maybe one day when I retire yeah I need some fire under me I need to know that like the deadlining is, is approaching and you will be in trouble but if I have time then it is not gonna happen exactly you need yeah. consequences there yes. needs to be consequences absolutely to your yeah I might be like behind a month in session notes but I've got eight coloring books <laughs> but look at all these coloring books. Yeah, look at all the stuff I did. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. How long has it been that you guys have been recording it? Um, we started May 7th, 2017. Um, so we are approaching two years this coming May. Is it 2017 or 18? 18 and then 19. Carry, carry so, the no, so 18. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I over, I, we got overzealous there. Um, yeah, so we're approaching two years coming in May, and it's been wonderful. I mean, such great feedback. Um, really glad that we both got on board and decided to really pursue it. Yeah, Maria was telling me that she was approached by you yes. and was like, do you want to do this podcast? Yes. So my fiance is a stand-up comedian, mm -hmm. and um, I worked in comedy for 10 years. So he already had a podcast, and I also knew so many other people who did as well. And since we already had the equipment, I just knew that I was like, I can do this. And I, I also felt that it was such a strong opportunity because this is a niche field. Mm -hmm. There are thousands of comedy podcasts so to, to have a following you really need to have a bunch of TV credits so that people can even find you yep. but when we started we were maybe one of five or four podcasts and, and even since then only a few have 
popped up since I feel like I we're there's definitely under 15 yes right yes I could yeah I mean we have a Facebook group we have so a Facebook group we have a Facebook group if yeah. you guys are listening and you know of any more SLP podcasts oh yeah tell them to find us send them our way but yeah we need to and that's how we met you and I yes. we kind of got connected through the podcasting world mm-hmm. um, which is really cool but yeah it's it's a very it's a very niche field but what's crazy is that we have you know thousands and thousands of speech language pathologists right so we never run out of topics it is the most perfect thing for podcasting exactly we're also in a profession of people who love to talk right so you know it's a recipe for success it is it's such a good i mean i everyone if you are thinking about starting a podcast just do it i could not agree more i think that a lot of times we we hold ourselves back and especially in something like well podcasts there's so many podcasts out there yes but so many podcasts Podcasts are so different in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, there's 15 speech therapy podcasts. We're all so different. All different. You yeah. Know? You can get something from every single one of them, even if we all did the same. T- we should just, everyone should pick one topic. Mm-hmm. We should all do the same topic and just compared how different how fun would that be yeah that would be a good idea we should try that i love that yeah i also love the idea of you know having having cross uh, collaboration between the podcast yeah. and like wouldn't it be so cool if we could have one big episode yeah i was thinking we should have like a podcast island like Ooh, yeah i don't know well, like how Super Duper has that whole yeah, section. Let's take it over. We should, yeah. <laughs> Why not? We'll just make it the podcast. Exactly. Islands. Yeah, I love that idea. I know. So let's talk a little bit about your wedding. Oh. So you're getting married. I am. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, it's been a long time. I've earned this. Um, so the much, time I mean, has finally come. Yeah, I... And it feels really good to no longer have a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But fiance is the worst word ever created. <laughs> I Tell me hate why. saying it. I just feel like it's silly. Mm-hmm. I hate to be like, well, my fiance. I just, yeah. Well, what's interesting is that, I mean, depending on your engagement, mm-hmm. it's just such a temporary word, right? right? You have to get used to stop. You have to stop saying boyfriend, start yeah. saying fiance, and then eventually you get to husband. So right. it's just this like, it's this little in-between period where... By the time you finally get used to saying it, it's like, right. well, now he's my husband. It's gone. And I have to get used to that. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because I'm really liking being engaged. Mm-hmm. It's super fun. I like the planning. I like the excitement. Um, and I feel like it's just all over when the wedding happens and then I'm married. So like, I, oh. Yeah, I just wish a better word. And then uh, Mike will be like, well, why don't you call me your partner? And I'm like, I'm not even going to go that no, way. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I feel like that's a mistake. Yeah, I'm like, are we in business together? What is that? Exactly. Um, so I'm just saying, fiance, it's, I'm warming up to it. I love it. I love it. But yeah, we're getting married in Brooklyn next September. Ah, beautiful month to get married, Thanks. honestly. It'll be a tail end of summer, especially on the East Coast. Right, yeah. We rented a carousel on, yeah, in Dumbo, which is down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. Mm-hmm. It's a neighborhood in Brooklyn. And it's just like on the city skyline. So mm, it'll just, be cool. The photos. The photos yeah, are going to be magical. I'm just trying to have an Instagram wedding. Exactly. <laughs> just trying to blast it all over social That's media right. and get as many internet. likes and comments as possible. 100%. Why else are we here? Exactly. <laughs> well, Deb, thank you so much for stopping by. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Keep up all the amazing work that you're doing on your podcast. Um, and I'm just excited to, to see a familiar face, a familiar <laughs> podcaster face. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. 
Hey, Matt. Hey, welcome to ASHA 2019. Matt Hot joined by the one, the only, live from Nepal, Rachel Madel. <gasps> Live from Nepal. I like that intro. Well, I guess live back from Nepal. Yeah, exactly. Back for two weeks and still somehow can't get over the jet lag. So I was going to say, how long does that take you to get over that? Uh, way too long. And what's crazy is that I feel like I finally was acclimating to West Coast time. And now I'm on the East Coast. So I'm experiencing jet lag all over again. I drove 19 hours in a car yesterday to get here from sunny Cincinnati to sunny Orlando. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better because... I didn't drive 19 hours. I just got on a flight for five. Um, so when we're, we're, we're putting things into perspective, I feel like I win. So, yeah, exactly. So we're here live at the Exceptional Booth, which when you hear this will not be live, probably not. It's true. But it won't be live. the last time you and I talked was at ASHA, and I was in Cincinnati, and you were uh, at ASHA. So it's wonderful to see you in person, finally at the booth. It's true. And... There was a lot of tech troubleshooting, I feel like, last last year. Uh, we got the tech situation under control, which I'm really excited about. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited to meet you in real life. What I remember from last year's ASHA yes. was Matt Hot Huge on a poster. Right? You were famous last year. Yeah, but my face is nowhere to be seen in the ASHA building unless you come to uh, booth 678. Uh, what I am excited for is I get to sit in two ASHA SEAL meetings uh, today and tomorrow, uh, helping make changes for school-based SLPs over the next 48 hours. You sound super official. Nope. I keep telling people that because I'm like, oh my gosh, should I do that? Not that I have time to do literally anything else, but sounds really cool what you're doing. Volunteer for the SEALs out in California, Rachel. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We'll have to think about it. Send me more information. Will do. Welcome to Talking with Tech. I'm here with Poonam DeSorms. Poonam, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, I'm really excited. You've been to a lot of amazing talks here at ASHA. Just tell me the, the highlights reel. I think definitely one of the highlights was going to a distinguished speaker and being able to talk to a person who happens to use AAC to communicate, and that's just one part of who she is, and being able to hear straight from her, her experiences, that has been amazing. Honestly, there's nothing that informs our clinical practice more than talking with adult AAC users, right? It's like, and it's like anything, it, you know, we know so much about autism because of Temple Grandin. Um, so I think that that's a really amazing thing. And we don't always have the opportunity to hear the experiences of we'll call them end users of AAC. Um, so that's amazing. Yes, it really was. And she talked a lot, not just about her experiences, but the work she's doing. And that was amazing to see and hear. And also just about ableism. So she was talking about how that really is an ism just like racism or sexism that she's experienced. And she gave us really specific uh, skills and, and terms to use in place of the terms we might be using, like AAC user. Wow. It's so interesting because I think that we're living in a world where everyone's trying to be politically correct, right? And it's like nobody wants to say the wrong thing, make the wrong move. And I think that what I've learned is having the courage to just ask outright what people prefer. What do you prefer to be called? Um, it's not always an easy conversation to have, but I think it's really important because uh, we actually just had Alyssa Hillary Zisk on our podcast. It hasn't aired yet, but they talked about how 
they actually don't like the term people for they don't like people first language correct so they prefer autistic adult which the first time I heard that was like oh my gosh what so it just goes to show you know we can only do our best to try to figure out what somebody what language somebody likes to use and so having that conversation I think is really important yes I, I agree and I think that knowing that there hasn't there isn't just one way, knowing that there isn't just one way because they're a person. And so really, what do they want to be called? They just want to be called by their name. Exactly. Right? And of course, when we're working and we're practicing and we're coming to something like ASHA, we are talking about populations. So we are talking about people and we want to categorize them so we know, okay, what area is this talk about? Um, but maybe you can also use multiple names and terms to deal with that and and just acknowledge that. And I think some of the things I've learned and, and what she spoke to also is just that we can make a mistake and I think that might not be what she would want to hear or somebody else would want to hear, but if you're coming from a genuine place and not feeling like you're all knowing about anything and you're still learning, then there's nothing wrong with maybe a misstep. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I was at a business conference uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a really amazing talk on diversity and how to think about diversity when you're employing people within your business. And one of the takeaways from that talk for me was, you know, just have kindness and compassion for people who are trying, right? And I think that 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 gives us permission to make a misstep and it's not the end of the world, right? As long as you come from a place of curiosity and genuine interest, um, having someone's best interest at heart, that's kind of what's the most important thing. Yes, and now I'm working at the University of Central Florida here in Orlando, so we were really excited that Asha's in our backyard again. And I just started there as a faculty clinical instructor and I'm working with graduate students and, you know, sometimes they're fearful of AAC and they're just also dealing with a lot with graduate school. And so kind of letting them know that I don't have all the answers and you're not meant to have all of the answers and my job is to help to guide you. And that kind of goes to what you're talking about, just being open and and kind of giving people the benefit of the doubt that they're that they're trying their best if they are. Um, so I definitely noticed that. And I've also noticed some of that can help when uh, working, doing AAC evaluations privately and working with school systems. I went to a, a talk that was related to that as well. Mm-hmm. Tell me the, the gem. What was the takeaway from that talk? Well, you know, I went into it and it was more school-based and it was talking about the um, legal issues and perspectives of what um, assistive technology teams and therapists should and shouldn't be doing. And so I kind of went in as somebody um, wanting to hear the people that I might not be working with, I'm not in the school system anymore. I was in the Orange County Public School System for 10 years. And so I, I know what, what they've been doing. And um, I think the takeaway was kind of what you're saying, that if people are still trying to learn and want to collaborate, that everybody probably has something to bring to the table, right? And that not coming at it and just thinking that this outside therapist did this evaluation and that they think they're all knowing and they, you know, want to tell me what to do. So, yeah, I think that it's just about a genuine place and and collaboration in a lot of ways, right? Chris and I are always talking about how can we make 
the assessment process more collaborative because it's not just me who comes in as a private therapist or the school specialist who comes in as the school AAC specialist. You know, how can we really bridge that gap and really all sit around a table, evaluate what's happening as far as features and what system might be good for a specific student and then make a group decision. I always say I don't like the I don't like the weight of a decision like that all on my shoulders. Um, so how can we start integrating and collaborating more so that you know it's a it's a discussion. It's not just I did an assessment because the moment you get people talking in a group First of all, just you're building rapport with a group that you're going to need to communicate with in the future. But also, people have more buy-in when they feel like they were a part of the decision. And so, I think you're exactly right. I think that you know somehow bridging that gap is is where you really need to be headed. Yes, and in working with the students, one of the things I really encourage is that we reach out to private therapists. You know, if they're coming to our university clinic, they might also have another private therapist or a school-based therapist or um, a different type of educator, a, a teacher, somebody else they're working with, and not being afraid to reach out to those people. And everybody's busy, so you might send one email or make one phone call, and they might not get back to you. And don't assume that that means that they don't want to collaborate with you. It probably just means they're getting as many emails and texts and phone calls as you are. And so try to reach out again. And I think anytime somebody feels like you are leaving the mes message and saying, hey, we have somebody in common, I have permission to speak to you, and I'd like to connect, especially if you do that a few times, they're really appreciative. And uh, especially if you open up with asking their input first. What has been working for you? What has not been working for you with this client? And getting their input first so that you feel like you, they know that you value what they bring to the table and then having a discussion. Um, and I think the students, once they do it a few times, realize it's not that scary because these are our colleagues. These are people that went to the same schools that we did and are at the ASHA conference here with us. And why are we here? Because we all want to learn and we want to collaborate and we're all dealing with, you know, the powers that may be in our districts or in our, you know, private practice and so, and insurance and all those things. So we really have a lot more in common and are most of the time, most of the time I have found that people's intentions are good. Yes. I completely agree. I always try to circle back to that whenever I, you know, maybe feel like my feelings were hurt or, you know, I think that we all are just trying to do the best we can for the clients that we serve. And um, one thing I love about our profession is that it's very rare that I meet a speech language pathologist that I don't like. I think we all have good hearts and are good natured. We want to help. And um, it's just, it's such a, it's such a great thing being a part of such an amazing community. Yes, it really is. It, it really is. And it's always inspiring to, to meet others that kind of feel the same way. And, um, and then if you don't meet somebody that, that feels that way, give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe something else is happening with them. And how can you deal with that without taking it on your shoulders? You know, you do your best to provide your input, to provide that collaboration opportunity. And if not, you can still say, hey, you know, I put it out there and maybe at some point they'll come back around or they'll remember you and have a collaboration with somebody else, you know. Um, it can never be negative if you come from a good place. Um, and if you accept that 
not have too many expectations about what might happen and accept that it might not go well and that you tried. Right, and I think the, the gem that I'm pulling from that is don't take it personal. We are so quick to take so many things personal, like, oh, was it my email? I'm go, you go back, you read the email I get, you know, we take all these things and then we start telling ourselves the story about, you know, it was something I did, it had to have been something that I did or what could I have done different? And it's like people are busy and they have lives and things are going on in their lives sometimes. So I think that that's a really important piece of wisdom um, to remind ourselves of. <laughs> yes. And what is it really about? It's about our clients. It's about the humans that we're working with and what they need and what their goals are and um, how they can best reach their potential. And so it, it really isn't about us. We're just facilitating this journey for them. Exactly. Well, Poonam, thank you so much for stopping by. I love meeting listeners of the podcast and you're doing an amazing job here in Florida. Thank you so much for talking with tech. I'm Rachel Madel. We will talk to you guys next week. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.